Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the IC's Boardroom Talk series, which tests the investment case of London's listed companies. My name's Emma Powell, Financial Services Writer at the IC, and today I'm joined by Clive Bannister, Chief Executive of Phoenix Group. Phoenix is not your typical life insurer. It buys and manages clothes, life and pension funds, handling assets worth around $76 billion. So Clive, welcome. Thanks for joining me. Making acquisitions is obviously a, a kind of crucial part of Phoenix's growth strategy. For those listeners who might not be familiar with Phoenix Group, I was wondering whether you could start by explaining the link between buying the closed funds and growing the dividend, which is obviously a crucial part of why investors would hold the stock. Certainly. Well, I think you introduced Phoenix as not your typical insurance company. Uh, A typical insurance company would achieve growth by selling new policies to new policyholders, new customers. We don't sell new policies. What we do is acquire and then run off old insurance books. So if you think of a well as a metaphor, as our policies run off, as they mature, people retire, etc., the water in the level of our well goes down. How do we replenish it? We replenish it by doing more closed life book acquisitions. So we go to other insurance companies. Uh, We describe the merits of selling their back books to us. We take those back books in and then we run them off. The merit of that business model is that we are a a monoline. We're utterly focused on what we do. And when you buy an old insurance company, you not only get very mature and stable long-term customers, policyholders, many of whom are pensioners, but that means that the cash flows that are derived from the business that pay our dividend go on for many years. So even if we didn't do another deal for 30 years, that is how long our books would exist. And to maintain our current dividend, and you commented on our dividend, the yield is around 6.5%, and that will stay in situ for another five years because that is the scale. You mentioned we had assets of £76 billion and we can rely on harvesting the water in the well that we have at the moment without having to go and do another transaction. But in time, we will go and do another transaction and replace that water in the well by new policyholders and more assets. And you've set a target of generating cash of between 1 and 1.2 billion by end of this year now, 2018. How is it exactly, uh, you know, you mentioned keeping cash generation going. How do you actually extract as much value as you can from the acquisitions so you can keep maintaining the dividends and growing them in time, as well as, of course, making sure you have the funds to run the company. Yeah, exactly. Pay me. Pay my colleagues. Exactly. (laughs) Absolutely. So our our current and foreseeable dividend policy is called stable and sustainable. And uh, that is because we are confident of the cash flows that we have access to over the, as I said, foreseeable future. So it's stable and sustainable at about 6.5%. Then your question was, well, how do we make this money? How does it, where does it come from? So in an insurance company, you have to, when you write a life policy, you have to put capital to one side to meet the liability of that person retiring, uh, a mortality event, a death, etc. On top of that, you have regulatory capital. And on top of that, you have capital or internal capital management policies, and that's the company's own prudence. So there are three layers of capital. When somebody does retire, 
you give them their check, and that allows you to release the capital which has been held conservatively to make sure uh, that, and that's our solvency margin, which is about 1.6 billion, to make sure that we can meet any future liabilities. So the way in which a closed-life company works is that we do things called management actions to optimize the capital that we allocate against those liabilities, those future obligations that we have to pay. And if we've got our maths right, then we get to release capital over time. So on average, we will generate a number of around 500 to 600 million pounds per annum of capital generation, which goes back to your comment that we expect in 2017 and 2018 to generate a number of between 1 and 1.2 billion of capital. And in terms of making acquisitions, do you have a particular set of criteria that you look for when, when you're choosing which funds to buy? Yes, absolutely. I think it's extremely dangerous to go shopping and to have no shopping list. You end up coming out and you think, why on earth did I buy that? For us to remain on mission and to deliver the capital and cash flow I referred to earlier, there are four big criteria. The first is we want it to be in in the UK and in a closed life space. The second, we want something which is accretive. And in our mind, that produces more cash flow, which we can point to. It is something uh, that uh, protects our investment grade so that our leverage doesn't go up. We're currently leveraged at around 27.5%, and that's exactly where we want to remain. Uh, Sometimes leverage goes up a bit and goes down a bit, but that's the target zone. And then finally, we want something that supports our dividend policy, which is, as I said, was stable and sustainable, currently yielding about 6.5%. In terms of the state of the market now, I know around the introduction of Solvency 2, there was a bit of hiatus in kind of acquisition activity for not just you, but also across the industry. Has the market recovered now, do you think? So Solvency 2, for those who don't understand or know our business as well as uh, we do around this table, is the new regulatory regime which turned up, which measures the amount and stipulates the amount of capital that insurance companies have to run themselves, not just in the UK, but across the whole of the EU. And it started on the 1st of January 2016. Um, There were... Uh, nine life companies uh, that got what was their what is called their internal model being accepted by our regulator the PRA uh, the prudential regulatory authority uh, governed by the Bank of England and the PRA approved nine life companies with their internal model which basically sets and calibrates the amount of capital that I referred to earlier that has to be held in a business to run it properly and we were one of those nine companies Phoenix It's always bumpy when you start with a new regulatory regime. And if I was a regulator, I would err on the side of being cautious. So you will have heard often, uh, I'm sure, Emma, of a criticism being made that it was gold-plated, that too much money was held back in the reserves of life companies and actually we could have run ourselves on a leaner mixture and therefore held back less capital and operated very successfully. Time will tell. Uh, I think our regulator did a very good job in introducing a major revolution in our regulations and have it is now being worked through. We have had model changes within Phoenix. We have done things called matching adjustments in the way in which we balance our liabilities with our assets. And on balance, the industry is now more comfortable with the new regime and operating successfully.
Another thing I think uh, maybe some investors would be interested in kind of gaining some clarity around would be, of course, there's a degree of uncertainty around things like longevity rates on on the policies that you're buying up. How do you try and manage um, those elements of uncertainty, um, you know, in order to protect your cash position? So longevity is the risk, let's put it into English, is the risk that people live longer than we've estimated. And therefore, we have insufficient funds to meet those future liabilities. Clearly, if I'm paying you your pension uh, and you don't uh, die, and statistically, you die somewhere at around 87 years old as a lady today, and you decided to live to 107, clearly, we as a firm have to hold more reserves to meet that extra 20 years of life. So that is a major risk for any uh, life insurer and any closed book operator. So there are three ways in which you think about mitigating that risk. First of all, when you buy a closed life business, you make sure that what you're buying has sufficient reserves to meet the obligations that you're taking responsibility for. The second, you use reinsurance. So we bought a business from Abbey Life uh, that had quite a big annuity uh, portfolio. Annuities have a lot of longevity risk, uh, and that was 70% reinsured. So we take 30% of the capital risk, and then we lay off with reinsurers the other 70%. And then finally, on a day-to-day basis, well, much more likely monthly-to-monthly basis, we hedge and we do various other financial techniques to mitigate risk depending on whatever returns from our investment side versus the longevity risks we see in our life book. Um, Maybe interest rates might be um, another cause for uncertainty. Obviously, um, the Bank of England raised rates. It was, you know, a very tiny level, only back up to 0.5%, which is obviously um, what they were before they were were lowered last time. Um, It seems unlikely that there will be a drastic uh, raising of interest rates this year or even next year. But um, what impact could a rise in interest rates have on your Solvency 2 position? And I don't know, maybe what what would a rise need to look like to have an actual real noticeable impact? So interest rates are critical to any insurance company. So we have £76 billion of assets under management of which a number between 9 and 11 billion are in government guilt, so treasuries, and uh, therefore interest rates really matter. When interest rates go up, generally insurance companies are richer, and of course the mirror image of that is when interest rates go down, things become more difficult. To answer the exam question, our solvency at the half year was £1.6 billion, And we have advertised in our accounts that if interest rates were to go down 50 basis points and stay flat forever, that would cost us about £100 million in cash flow and about £100 million in solvency. We have lived through, I mean, the most difficult year was 2016. So uh, 10-year guilts, and on the whole, we we price our book off a 10-year guilt or swap rate off that guilt. Uh, They started the year at about 120 basis points, and they went all the way down to around 60. That is nearly a halving for a large, and we survived, and our solvency was strong enough. They've now come back up to slightly under 110, 120 basis points. So we have lived through. So we have a resilient, and the industry has balance sheets which are resilient to interest rates declines because that's the dangerous thing but we're not immune 
So looking into the future, I think you're right to be sceptical about any big hike or hockey stick increase in interest rates. There's nothing on the demand side or inflationary pressure which would argue that that is something that the Chancellor needs to think about doing tomorrow morning, and I'm sure the Bank of England Monetary Policy Committee is not thinking about it either. But there are cyclical reasons to think that interest rates will rise over time, and that is good news for an insurance company like Phoenix. And the final thing I just wanted to ask you about was, obviously, we've talked a lot about cash generation, and obviously cash is king is the phrase. But are there any other type of measures that maybe investors could look at that would be particularly pertinent in assessing the performance of Phoenix? I know a lot of readers have um, expressed the sentiment that they actually sometimes find life insurance companies quite difficult sometimes to judge in, in terms of performance. So, Emma, are you being kind when you say difficult to judge? What you're trying to say in English is that we're impenetrable to any normal human being, for which I apologise. We do try extremely hard. And indeed, earlier today, I was going through the annual report, uh, which we will uh, release on March the 15th uh, for our year ending 2017. And we try extremely hard to describe what we're doing and how we do it. So I think there are three things uh, that I would look to. One is the cash flow generation. If that is working, then we will honour our commitment to all of our stakeholders, including our, our, our shareholders. The second is the dividend paid per share, and we are at 50.2 pence per share, and we intend to keep it that way. So that is metric. I think it's extremely important to look at our leverage level, which is another way of looking at the health of our balance sheet. Um, and those borrowings are another barometer for the way in which we're keeping things uh, on the straight and even. And the final is, are we doing transactions? Um, in 2016, we did two transactions. One was uh, the purchase of AXA, and the other one was Abbey Life, buying the AXA book from a French insurance company, AXA, and Abbey Life from the German investment bank, Deutsche Bank. We spent last year integrating those. And when you buy something, it's a bit like buying a car. You look under the bonnet, you kick the tires, etc. But it's only when you get in and drive it off the forecourt, you know whether it really works. And the good news, as we said in our first half results, is that we are ahead of our own timetable to deliver the integration. The cash that we said would be generated from these acquisitions is actually ahead of where we were, and the costs are lower than we thought they would be. So doing another transaction, I think, is important for us, putting more water back in the well, going back to that metaphor that I used at the beginning. And also it's a symbol of further consolidation in the UK, and as the UK's largest closed life consolidator, we should be net beneficiaries. And uh, shareholders trusted us with their funds. They gave us money to go and spend. We are now repaying that in the dividends that we committed to. And therefore, another metric to look for uh, in alongside cash flow, dividend and debt is to look at whether we're doing transactions. And I look forward to doing more transactions in the future. OK, brilliant. Well, I think I'll leave it there then today. Thanks very much for joining me, Clive. Emma, thank you very much. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.